This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode two of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Today I will be sharing the secret of how you can become a millionaire by saving only $1 per day. Yes, that's right. Only $1 per day. Well, actually, it's not exactly a secret, but it is something which many people have yet to fully grasp and install into their daily understanding of the world. The concept we're going to discuss today is called gradualism. Gradualism is a mental model, a tool to add to your toolbox to improve your critical thinking and help you become a better investor. The outline for today's show is, first, I will give you a very brief overview of mental models for those who aren't familiar with the concept. Second, I will dive into the background of gradualism and its native use. Third, I will provide some examples of gradualism in the real world to help you spot its effects when you see it. And finally, I will wrap up the show by relating gradualism directly to personal finance, financial independence, and investing. Because that's why you're listening to this show. So that's the basic overview of today's show. Now let's dive right in onto the overview of mental models. Mental models are at the foundation of my approach to investing. Specifically, a latticework of mental models. See, this approach was made famous by billionaire Charlie Munger who is most commonly known as Warren Buffett's partner with Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett has has on numerous occasions credited Charlie Munger for making him a better investor and influencing him to change from a deep value investor to the blue chip value investor he is today. The simplest way to explain mental models is to quote Charlie Munger directly. This quote comes from page 55 of the book Poor Charlie's Almanac. Quote, You must know the big ideas and the big disciplines and use them routinely. All of them. Not just a few. Most people are trained in one model, economics, for example, and try to solve all problems in one way. You know the old saying, To the man with a hammer, the world looks like a nail. This is a dumb way of handling problems. End quote. You see, these mental models are these big ideas which Charlie Munger is referring to. So I'm going to continue quoting the book now on page 56. Quote, when properly collected and organized, his, mental, his multiple mental models, about 100 in number, he estimates, provide a context or, quote, latticework, which leads to remarkable insights as to the purpose and nature of life. 
More pertinent to our purposes here, his models supply the analytical structure that enables him to reduce the inherent chaos and confusion of a complex investment problem into a clarified set of fundamentals. End quote. So the basic idea behind investing using mental models is that you have these approximately 100 different overarching ideas. So individually, they each provide a snapshot into better understanding the world, business, and your investments. But all combined together, they have additional power. They provide a framework for ensuring that you invest at a higher degree of proficiency than other investors. This is how you become an above-average investor. This is how Charlie Munger, along with Warren Buffett, have managed to beat the market over decades and decades and decades, implementing this latticework of mental models when they make their investment decisions. You see, the, by doing this, you're going to be able to outperform the market's most professional investors, such as mutual fund or hedge fund managers, don't think this way. They don't evaluate their investments using such a latticework. So by learning how and what mental models are and categorizing them and putting them in your toolbox, you now have a better tool for evaluating businesses, for evaluating the world. You can make better decisions and better investments. So that's the basic background of why mental models are important and why specifically it's, you should look to gain, learn as many of them as possible. But again, remember, these are the big ideas in a discipline. You know, they're not just simple things. They're not, you know, like addition or subtraction. You know, they're these big ideas um, like gradualism, which we're going to cover today, but also other stuff you might have heard of, like the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. Um, all of these things that exist allow us to make better decisions. And so by knowing them from multiple disciplines and not just choosing the ones related to economics, you gain a better understanding and that understanding can then be applied to your investments. Okay, so now let's go into our second section, which is the background of gradualism. So gradualism gradualism is the concept in biology and geography that large changes occur from very small incremental actions taken consistently over long periods of time. So I'm going to repeat that. Gradualism is the effect that large changes can occur from very small incremental actions taken consistently over large periods of time. So there's really three key points to draw from that. You have very small actions, and these are incremental. So it's very small incremental actions that are just small steps. You're taking one small step forward, one small step forward, one small step forward. So that's the first point is they're very small steps. The second is that they're taken consistently over long periods of time. So it's not just about taking, you know, one step today, one step tomorrow, one step the day after, and just doing it for a few days or a few like few weeks. These are over very long periods of time. So specifically biology and geography, you're talking, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years, tens of thousands, millions of years that these changes take place. And the final point is that the changes that occur are large. They're larger than you would expect from the very small actions that take place in each tiny time frame. So the changes on a day-to-day basis don't match up with what you would expect to occur or what you would expect the end outcome to be. But when added up, 
and they're taken consistently over long periods of time, over tens of thousands of years, you have very large changes. So let's go to, into some examples here. Let's start first with geography. So these can include things where, where gradualism is seen to have an effect. These are changes in the structure of the earth, um, changes in land features, the shape of the continents are changing, canyons, mountains, rivers, valleys. So one of the key examples is the idea that millions of years ago, we didn't have the seven continents we have today. You had one continent, one Pangea continent. So all of the land mass of Earth was all combined. But when you look at that and you think about that on a, on a simple basis, that doesn't make sense. Like how could all the continents we have today that are so far apart, that are so big and have these their own unique um, geographies and land features, how did it go from one landmass to seven different gigantic landmasses and hundreds of islands, thousands of islands? How did this happen? And so the idea behind it is that gradualism is what caused us to go from a single landmass of Pangaea to having seven large continents that are spread out all over the ocean. And all it takes is these you know, little changes as the tectonic plates that the continents are sitting on move slowly in one direction or the other, and they slowly separate or slowly go towards each other. So you're talking very small changes. You're talking centimeters or inches change in a year or in a month or in 10 years. And so if you're like, man, if, we're only, if the continent only moves by an inch in a year, how in the world did they separate? So the concept is that this it's not just an inch in every year. It's an inch this year, an inch next year, an inch the year after that, an inch a hundred, you know, over the next hundred years, the next thousand years. And so as you add up all of these small changes over millions and millions and millions of years, you get a gigantic effect that you went from one continent to seven continents. So another example is the growth of Mount Everest. So most people know that Mount Everest is the largest mountain in the world by elevation. But what they don't know is that Mount Everest is still growing. And so Mount Everest is growing by the fact that you have two tectonic plates that are moving towards each other and lifting up higher and higher. So the height of Mount Everest is getting bigger every year. And so that's by one centimeter, or I can't remember the exact figure, but it's going up by centimeters to inches every year. And as this happens, it's getting slowly bigger and bigger and bigger. But it wasn't always the largest mountain in the world. You know, you didn't always have this Mount Everest there. This happened because, you know, again, after you went from the Pangaea and you separate out into the continents, well, eventually you had two plates that were smashing into each other. And that slowly created a mountain as the land crumbled underneath it and built up. So it wasn't built in a year. It wasn't built in a hundred years or a thousand years. Mount Everest has been built to be as tall as it is over millions and millions of years by these small incremental changes. This is gradualism in effect. So another area where you see this in, in geography is you know, the movements of glaciers across continents. So glaciers are giant um, masses of ice, frozen water on the continent. Um, and you don't see them nearly as much nowadays as you would have if you lived you know, 10 million years ago or, or something along that time frame. 
But, you know, there used to be massive glaciers all over North America, massive glaciers over Europe. Um, but those have receded and they've moved and they've gone into different locations and some have melted. You know, this was the last ice age where this happened. But what they've done is those glaciers moving across the continents very slowly, you know, small, you know, going feet by feet. That has caused the creation of many of the land features that we know today. So, you know, canyons and river valleys and the shapes that they take through are from the glaciers moving across, you know, marching out the great plains of North America is where a lot of the glacier was that um, was on the North American continent. And so it's just this giant um, mass of ice moving across. But you also have, you know, the creation of, you know, river valleys and canyons. So the Grand Canyon was formed of similar movements where you have water going down through this area, slowly breaking apart the sides of the walls, slowly getting deeper and deeper and deeper and getting straighter on the walls. And this creates a canyon over time. These weren't created in a hundred years or a thousand years, these are created over tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of years. But it's small amounts. I mean, you're talking very incremental changes as the water slowly wears away at the side of the mountain. Slow, I mean, slowly wears away at the side of the walls, and it makes it a little bit deeper and a little bit um, longer. And so that's how these gigantic land features are created. So switching tacks now, let's talk about biology. So one of the key areas where gradualism is brought up in biology is in changes of species and speciation in evolution. So the concept of of evolution is that, you know, you have a species and over time, over millions of years, um, the traits of that species will change. And that eventually you're going to get new traits that become more dominant than the old previous traits. And you might get new species as different groups of the species become isolated and they develop into different traits. And that over a very long period of time, over, you know, hundreds of thousands of generations, you're going to get a change in um, the general traits of a species. So that's how you go from um, you know, very few birds to a lot more different types of birds as they develop different quirks. Some have different, you know, that you have red birds and blue birds. Um, you develop all these different traits as they adapt to their environment. And on an individual, again, this is gradualism. So you have small changes taken consistently over long periods of time that are affecting this very large change. So changing from, you know, becoming a new species is a huge change. I mean, species are very different from each other. They have unique traits that you can easily identify. Um, So for instance, you have, um, you know, you have humans and you have uh, the ancestor, other ancestors of mammals that, you know, like monkeys, apes, gorillas, and they're, you know, humans and Apes and gorillas are very, very different, but they had a common ancestor at one point through the concept of evolution where you have the fact that, okay, you have these different groups and these different species, or you have these different groups of the same species, but they spread out. So they spread out all over the world. And then in each generation, they it's survival of the fittest. So if you can survive better than your neighbor, 
then you're going to be able to pass on your genes to your children and they're going to get a chance to pass on their genes to their children if they can survive during their life to the point where they have kids. So what's going to happen is that if you have a disease or a genetic disorder that causes you to be blind, let's say, well, 100,000 years ago, if you were blind, it was very likely that you could die to a wild animal or you wouldn't be as effective in helping bring food for your tribe. So you'd be less likely to attract a mate and less likely to develop um, the skills necessary to survive. And so if there was a genetic a predisposition for blindness that you acquired from your parents, but they didn't necessarily have it, you have it, well, then you're going to die off and someone who didn't have that predisposition for blindness will live on and pass on their genes. So in each individual generation, you're going to have these tests in the gene pool to say, okay, which genes are better? So maybe you have a gene that makes you stronger than all the other people in your tribe. And this just happens by chance. You know, there was a mutation in the genetic code when you were being born or that you developed during life. And that means that you're a little bit stronger than all the other, the other people in your tribe. Well, that means that you're going to develop uh, that your children, if they continue to have that trait, are going to be a little bit stronger. And so as that propagates through the generations the stronger people are going to be more able to adapt to their environment and more able to survive. And that's going to propagate those genes forward. Now, you know, talk about very small differences in any one generation. I mean, your small difference that might make just a little bit better able to, you know, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, a little bit more intelligent. But these changes are small in one sense. And like each generation is a small change. But when you talk 100,000 generations, it could be a huge difference. You you know, you have 100,000 or a million generations, and you can go from the common ancestor, and you have the differences from the ones that developed really smart intelligence becoming humans and the ones that didn't becoming apes and monkeys and that sort of thing. So another area um, where you see this is in dinosaurs. So dinosaurs, um, you know, were killed off by a meteor, but you know, the ones that survived and the ones that could survive, you have eventually became the ancestors for many of the birds today, lizards and some other and other animals, as they had the traits that allowed them to survive in a tough environment. And then as they adapted to the new environments that were in place, due to the catastrophic destruction, they gained new traits, they passed those on, and they were then over time developing into different species. That's why you have so many different species today. It's because over millions of years, you've had this speciation process going, these individual gene changes held over, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of gene changes are creating these effects. So those are your basic concepts, right? So you have gradualism showing up in biology and geography where you have these small incremental actions. So there's small, any one change is relatively unseen, but they're taken repeatedly and repeatedly over and over and over again over long periods of time. And that the end change doesn't match with what you would expect. So the end change is large, way larger than you would expect from any one individual change. So, 
you know, for instance, in the biology one with humans, it's really hard to anticipate how much more intelligent humans are from all the other mammals or all the other animals, even though, you know, it was simply small changes at any one period of time. But that's the effect that gradualism had. So now let's go into, you know, the third section where we kind of cover some other examples of gradualism in the world. So the biggest area where you might want to understand this concept is this idea of an overnight success. You hear this repeated all the time. There's all these different examples where people like, you know, they were a complete overnight success. They went from having nothing to now they're millionaires, they're rich, they're doing well, they are successful. Um, You know, one example is American Idol. So in American Idol, you go on and you compete and you know, no one knew about you. And by the end of the show, you are a success. You signed a million dollar record deal. And now everyone knows your name. You're an overnight success. But what it misses is this idea that, you know, they didn't become the winner of American Idol by just randomly going on the show, randomly being discovered. The people who win a show like American Idol have spent time putting in small incremental improvements to their singing capability for decades. Sometimes, you know, many, many years. They're doing it, you know, 5, 10, 15 years where they have spent time slowly practicing their craft, getting, you know, 1% better today, 1% better tomorrow, 1% better next month. And as you do this over lots and lots of periods of time, you get so much better than the competitions. That's why you go, and on American Idol, there's people who are just terrible. But, you know, it's funny to watch and say, oh, man, they're struggling with that. But then you have the people who are just good. They get on there and everyone's impressed. You know, they didn't become good by coming on the show. They were already good because they put in the time, they put in the practice to become successful. Um, Another area where you might see this is, you know, we look at actors and actresses. And... It's like, man, they make millions of dollars for a movie or a show. But what you don't see is all of the decades of work where they worked before that, and they weren't a good actor or an actress. They weren't the most famous, you know, Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston. You know, they weren't these stars that they were today. They had to build up the skills. It was every day going and working on acting, working on speaking, working on... um their mannerisms, and really developing the skills to become successful. These weren't overnight success type things. You know, another area is Olympic athletes, um, or any athlete really for that matter. The ones that become extremely successful have built up this thing with daily practice, you know, every day, you know, in sw- you know, like Michael Phelps in swimming. You know, he didn't just win a gold medal without work. You know, he didn't just arrive on that scene, go to the Olympics and be like, hey, I'm the best. No, he became the world's best swimmer by every single day going out and swimming, every single day working on practice. And it's this repeated action over and over and over and over and over again that develops the high level of skill that you see in the Olympics. And again, this is that, you know, the gradualism mental model at work. It's showing that by taking your small incremental actions on a daily basis, you can become successful. You know, again, another example that throws right in this is like football players. You know, it's like, oh man, they were they were poor, they were they weren't very successful, but then they signed they signed with the NFL and now they're millionaires. Well, you know, you look at the the NFL athletes and they have been playing football 
all the way through college. They played football all the way through high school. They played football in middle school. They played football before that. And you're talking, you know, the they might sign with the NFL at 22 years old, 21 years old, but they've probably been playing football since three, four, five, six, seven. You know, they, they're, they've been playing from a very young age and over 15 years, they've put in the time and learned the skills going, you know, every week and learning to become a better football player, putting in this practice and putting in those small amounts to the point where at the end of the day, they're one of the best football players in the nation, one of the football best pl- football players in the world, and that's where the success comes from. It's this gradual, incremental action that's going to make them the success. So this is why the, there's this idea of get-rich-quick schemes, which is so alluring to people. It's this idea that you can put in very little effort or very little time and suddenly become wealthy. And it just doesn't happen. That's why you know the lottery is one of the biggest traps for poor people and it keeps people in poverty is because the people who play the lottery the most are those that are poor. You know, you, the lottery, all it is, it's this idea, this dream that you can become rich someday and the people who end up playing the lottery, um, which is something that mathematically is a guaranteed loss. So your mathematical expectation of winning is zero. You're going to lose the money that you spend on the lottery. And so anyone who's spending the money on the lottery, and if, and if that's you and you're listening to this show, I would encourage you to think about this. When you spend money on the lottery, that's a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars that you are not saving and investing for your future. And if you just took all that money that you're putting in the lottery and put it towards your savings and investments, as we're going to see in a minute when I talk about saving a dollar a day, that's going to stop you from becoming a millionaire. That's the thing that's stopping you. It's these daily actions, these daily actions which are harming your ability to become wealthy. And so, you know, the thing that all of these examples that I just covered have in common is that you had to work hard. You had to put in small amounts of effort or sometimes even large amounts of effort each day, every day, for years and decades before the success became available. You know, before you were the best in your craft, you had to start as the worst in your craft and you had to slowly move from the worst to bad to okay to good to great to really competitive and top of your game and finally you become your best but you don't you don't go from the worst at something to the best at something you don't go from poor to becoming rich in a day it takes time and so this is that gradualism mental model at work so let's dive straight in there to now talking about investing and financial independence. This is what we're all here for. So in terms of investing, you know, your small actions that you take on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis over the course of decades can gradually make you rich. So this is where I say, so you can save $1 a day and you're gonna steadily build wealth and become a millionaire. All you have to do is save $1 per day, every day, and you can eventually become a millionaire. So the way that that math works, if you save $1 per day, every day, for 57 years, you'll become a millionaire. Now, okay, 57 years, that sounds like a long time, and it is. And so the concept, though, is that all you have to do is save $1 a day, and you will eventually become a millionaire. You know, someone who starts at a young age will be able to do this simply by saving $1 a day. And for, instance, for example, this example I'm using, you're going to earn a 10% interest rate through your investment. So this matches the stock market returns over the last 100 years. Um, is a 10% approximately 
rate of return. But this doesn't occur immediately. This takes a long time. So saving a dollar a day will get you there eventually. That's the whole idea behind gradualism. So it's understanding that you know those $1 that are slipping out of your life, that $1 bill is robbing you of your future wealth. And so being more conscious of where you spend that dollar is the difference between someone who ends up poor and someone who ends up wealthy. And the key point is you have to do it every day, continuously for years and years and decades on end, and you can become successful. But the math that works in, you're not going to succeed this success quickly. So if you're saving a dollar a day every day, after one year, you're going to have $383.92. That's not very much money. After five years, you're only going to have $2,300. After 10 years, you're going to have $6,272.09. It's not a lot of money still. After 30 years, which is a very long time, this takes you from being 20 years old to 50 years old, you'd have $69,000. It's still not even $100,000. It's not until year 34 that you would pass $100,000. But in 40 years, you're now at $195,000. And in 50 years, you're at $537,000. After 57 years, you will have $1,086,662.36. So what you see here is is that by saving a dollar a day, you can eventually become a millionaire. But it t- it's that daily action over very long periods of time that is going to cause you to find that success. Now, this also utilizes um, the mental model of compound interest, which I've also covered on my blog at DIYinvesting.org. Um, that's going to help that amount of money that you take in savings every day grow, and it grows a lot larger than you would expect over a period of time. But what I want you to know from this is that what applies to the dollar a day also applies at higher savings rates. So if you're saving more than a dollar a day, you can still use the gradualism mental model to find your way to wealth. So if you've heard of the latte factor, which is generally this idea that if you save $5 a day, because a latte would cost approximately $5, um, then you would become a millionaire if you just saved $5 a day. And that, only instead of 57 years, you'd become a millionaire in 41 years. So by going from just $1 a day to $5 a day, you've cut your time to becoming a millionaire by 16 years. That's not bad. $5 a day is not that much money for someone working and living in the U.S. to save. Now, if you save $10 a day, which is about $300 a month, which can sound like a lot, but the key part is focus on $10 a day. Instead of 41 years, you're now down to 34 years. And this is about the average working time frame for those Uh, with a working career is working for about 34 to 41 years. So if you can save somewhere between five to $10 a day, you'll become a millionaire before you retire. And you don't have to save any more than that to reach becoming a millionaire. You just have to do it every day repeatedly over a long period of time. And that's the key. You have to repeat this action consistently over a long period of time in order to see the large effect. Now, what if you could triple this from $10 a day to about $33 a day? So you're saving $1,000 a month. Now, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. So this is going to be a hard one to reach. But if you can do that, and 
what you'd want to do is always strive to be saving a little bit more money each year than you were saving the year before. You know, not sticking to $1 a day, but not sticking to $10 a day, but keep trying pushing it higher and higher to make it shorter. By saving $1,000 a month or $33 per day, you're now going to be a millionaire in 23 years. That's a really short time frame. That's for someone, if they start at 40 years old, if you're 40 years old today, but you can save $1,000 a month or $33 per day, you'll be a millionaire by 63. So from 40 to 63, if you're 40 years old and you have, you've thought that, oh man, it's too late. All these things take too much time. All you have to do is just save a little bit more money and you can still reach that goal. Finally, we're going to throw a high number out there. If you can save $100 a day, you'll be a millionaire in 14 years. Now, it's still hard work. You're still doing this daily action. And for many people, this is out of reach. $100 a day is beyond their income even. So to think of even saving that amount of money is too high. But the idea is no matter where you are on this income spectrum, you can make use of the gradualism mental model to become rich. No matter how much money you save, you can eventually build wealth. All you have to do is do this action consistently, repeatedly, and taking small steps every single day. So large investments aren't necessary to become wealthy. You don't need to start with $10,000 or $100,000 to get rich through investing. You just need to take regular action every day to save money and invest it wisely. So, even $1 per day will eventually make you a millionaire. Before you act like 57 years is unrealistic, someone could start saving a dollar per day at 16 years old and they'll have $1 million by the time they turn 73 assuming they never increase their savings rate. That's easily achievable. As they save even more money per day, their wealth will increase just faster. So the lesson I want you to tell, take away from the mental model of gradualism is that there is no excuse now for you to not become wealthy in the future. This concept alone, that small changes taken consistently and reliably every day for decades can cause large effects. Don't discount the day of small beginnings. Even if you have no money today, or if you're in debt, you can eventually become rich. Just get started. If you only take away one thing from this podcast today, let it be this. Start saving money today. Even if it's only $1, set it aside. Put it in an old-fashioned piggy bank, or open up a savings account. There are many online banks which will let you open an account with no minimum deposit. If you have more money, great. Save more. But do it every single day and start now. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how much stuff you have in your life. There's always going to be busyness in your life. If you start now, your future self will thank you. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you liked this content and found it valuable, please consider taking 10 seconds of your time and rate the podcast in iTunes, along with a one to two second review. You don't need to do any more than that. That will help the podcast be found by other listeners and help me build my audience. If you'd like to find the show notes, you can find them at DIYinvesting.org slash episode two. That's DIYinvesting.org slash episode two. Thank you for listening and please subscribe. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. 
Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.